Welcome to the Stoke It Up podcast, a podcast encouraging you in your journey with God. I'm Alan Stoddard. I'm your host, and we are here to kindle afresh the gift of God that is in you. And we want to help you be successful and encouraged in the great commission of Jesus Christ to go into all the world and make disciples and to do that in everyday life. And today we are starting a two-part series with Dr. Kenneth Priest. He is an expert at revitalization. And so we're excited about it. We will see you on the other side. Let's check it out. Well, all right, everybody. I am here with Dr. Kenneth Priest, my best friend in the ministry. And there's a whole lot to that. You know, I, Kenneth, actually, he's been getting me jobs for over 20 years now. In some form or fashion, uh, we were graders at Southwestern Seminary together. Just incredible. Nuts. This whack story. Kenneth is a revitalization. I call you the best guy in the United States. I know you hate me saying that. And then, you know, there's other people. Well, there's other guys in Mark Clifton. I mean, he is legend. That dude's so legend. And and there's others. But I, I have seen Kenneth, apart from me just being his brother in the Lord, uh, I have seen the fruit of churches that have been revitalized through his ministry. So guys like me probably talk it and maybe have done it, but Kenneth has been mobilizing multiple churches, uh, mobilizing for church revitalization. Uh, he's a graduate of Southwestern Seminary, of course, and Midwestern, got a demon and revitalization from there. He's uh, been on staff at the SBTC for, he was for a long time. And then now he is suffering for the Lord in an interim pastorate in Hawaii. What church are you at there in Hawaii, Kenneth? Now we're doing the transitional pastorate for Valley Isle Fellowship on Maui. Oh man. And you guys have only been there like two weeks? Uh, well, we've been here for a full month, but I've been in the pulpit for two weeks. Yes. Okay. You've been there a month in pulpit. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us here on the Stoke It Up podcast. What we want to do is kindle afresh the gift of God that is in people to help them be successful for great commission work. And one of the questions I thought of late last week, and Kenneth was willing to join us real quick. Uh, thank you, Ken. Uh, yeah. Is that what does it? What are the few things that we would look at churches and go? Here's the non-negotiables. I mean, these are non-negotiable things that we would go. This church is healthy. It's renewed or revived, and these are real markers beyond philosophy that are real markers to show. Now, the, the subject is this, uh, how the need to see many great, great commission churches that are healthy and, and have kingdom desire. And so what I want to do is relate revitalization principles to not just pastors, but I want us, Kenneth, in these next 25 minutes to talk to people in the pew too. I yeah. think we got to get them moving with the pastors. So let me give the six things that Kenneth gave, and I added one just for discussion, six non-negotiables for church revitalization, and I wrote in continual renewal of the church. Mm -hmm. Number one, yeah. a culture of prayer. Number two, expectancy of God to move. Number three, worship geared for evangelism. Number four, follow-up strategy for all church activities, worship, and events. I read that to a friend of mine last night. And he said, what does that mean? So I said, I'm going to ask him. Uh, number five, community outreach. Number six, congregation equipped for evangelism. And then I wrote in number seven, 
congregation equipped for New Testament disciple making. Yeah. So, Kenneth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, brother, for joining in. It means a lot. Those are six things. Let me jump right out and ask you, what does a culture of prayer look like to you at a church? Yeah, so, so in revitalization, of course, you know, we always say the foundation begins with prayer. And I remember listening to you and Dr. Queen last week, and, and you kind of gave the, the, hey, you know, we're presupposing prayer in our conversation. And so sometimes you have to just outright say it. It's not even just the presupposition. I want you to know you've got to have the culture of prayer. And it's going to look a little different in every church, right? But if you go into a church that, that prayer is used as a transition to move the worship service, right? So this is when the worship leader prays so the praise team can walk off the stage, right? That's a transition prayer. That's not a culture of prayer, man. That's a program of prayer. A culture of prayer is when the pastor stands up and is like, man, we're just going to go into a season of prayer. I, I don't know how long it's going to last. It's going to be, might make some of you uncomfortable because we're going to be quiet for a while. And, and after I, you know, believe it's enough time, I'll, I'll say a word of prayer, vocal prayer, so we know that this season is, is ended uh, and the, then the worship service will continue. Uh, that's more of the culture of prayer. You're, you're not just programming to let the, the service move from one element to the next element, but it really is just a time to allow people to prepare their hearts, prepare their minds to, to prepare for worship. But then even more than that, it, it's getting the congregation praying, right? And so one of the ways that we do that is, is doing uh, 40 days of prayer in a new context so that uh, people that do not have the practice of daily prayer, if you just do these little bite-sized chunks, right? You know, uh, you and I have talked about this for years, you know, just the, oh, I forgot to pray today. Let me just sit down and, and, and do a quick prayer. Uh, that's better than nothing, right? And so uh, people that don't have the practice of prayer, you can, you can help guide them. And so it's an individual or a family prayer time. But if the entire congregation is doing it, it's a corporate movement that's taking place. And so uh, adding in that type of thing to help develop the practice of prayer. And then for those people that are already have a practice of prayer, uh, they join the corporate praying uh, through this individual prayer time. And they just add it on to what they're already doing in their quiet time, their devotion, so that it gets the entire church focused and praying on the same things for the same purpose during the same season. Uh, and so it's not everybody just wanting to pray for whatever they want to pray, but it's really a guided prayer time. And that really creates the right culture for prayer. So, so those are just a couple of the elements that, that I see that are necessary in order to, to have the appropriate foundation for prayer. If those things are happening, now there's other prayer, you know, like, you know, we're doing a, a Monday night prayer meeting. Uh, this is what the church has done for years. Of course, because COVID, they were online. Well, this week, we, we actually start back in person. And so, just, just finding those opportunities that those that are, you know, moving forward in their disciple-making journey could engage in additional prayer times together. And so doing the in-person prayer services are a great way to do that. So, so those are just a few of the elements that, that begin to create the culture of prayer. But again, it can't be a program for it. It's got to create the culture for it. So even when you're doing the in-person prayer services, you know, just sitting down, the, the old traditional, you know, let's break out the prayer list and we're just going to pray through it. And, you know, okay, well, it was short this week. So now the pastor's going to do a little devotion and then walk away. 
You know, that's not what we're talking about. It's really just allowing the people to come together and, and pray. Uh, and you don't really worry about the prayer list. You know, these are all the people that submitted the prayer requests. So those prayers are going to come out as a part of the prayer meeting anyway. Uh, so you don't have to read through a prayer list. You just, you just begin praying and, and let the people pray. Uh, and then from that, uh, you know, God does the work that God does. I remember when John Franklin came out with a book called And the Place Was Shaken. Mm -hmm. And that book helped put together how to lead a prayer meeting that involved worship and music. And I'm, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. And then I will also put a link to an article that Ty Bowman wrote. Now, I'm going to interview him and Trey Kent, I hope, because God has been doing some amazing prayer things in Austin. And he wrote about how to lead prayer meetings and all of that. Uh, so yep. what I hear you saying is I heard the combination between there's got to be corporate and individual, and there's got to be enough that it's not just, okay, who's going to pray so we can show people from the stage that we're praying, but we're really not, don't look like it's a culture of prayer where it's natural. I would say that that, uh, I watched y'all's first service there in Hawaii. When you did that prayer thing at the beginning of the service, that was different. I, I don't even go to that church. I thought that's different. But I liked it because it, was it wasn't long. It wasn't weird. It was out. Uh, it was different because it was at the beginning of the service and people were called forward to just pray for the service. I thought, wow, that's, that's a thought. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Um, and then I would add this. One of the markers to have a culture of prayer, if we're going to see renewal and revitalization, you got to have a prayer leader in your church. You have to oh, have sure. somebody that organizes and, and leads the prayer meetings, the pastor must be a part of it, but you could actually find somebody that you say, would you please own leading the prayer meetings and putting them together and maybe planning with the worship team? What do you think about that? Am I on track? Yeah, that, yeah that's uh, so in revitalization, there's no leaders doing anything. So if anything's to start, the pastor has to start it, but that gets into the disciple making side. What we tell pastors is, look, you've got to get this up and rolling, but then you find that key leader that you can disciple to take over this ministry and then you put it in their hands and let them start running it. You still support it. Like you're saying, pastor still shows up. You still support it. Now it might take you three, six, 12 months to find that person. And so in revitalization, the pastor has to do a lot of different work uh, to, to tee things up and get them going and training and discipling the people to take over. But yeah, ultimately you want to hand this off to someone else so that they're coordinating and they're telling you as the pastor, here's your part. This is what I, I want you to do. Uh, and you show up and you do your part as the pastor. So if we're marking revitalized, healthy, great commission churches, either on the way to that or that are there now, what we are saying in this podcast, at least, is that you ought to have a culture of prayer. And there's some markers that you need to have. You need to have a prayer leader. You need to not just pray in public, but there needs to be an, a natural outflow. I look for a prayer meeting at a church. I want to know the where is the prayer meeting. I don't care how many people come to it. Then there's the mobilization of prayer. Yeah. Now, if you're a church member listening, let me show and let me throw in the shoe leather principle right here. If you're a church member and you're you're attending your church, we would ask you, then why don't you go ahead and stoke up some praying in your church? why don't you pray about who would be that leader or maybe God's going to lead you to do it, but why don't you go before the service starts? Why don't you go and, and, and just 
tell the pastor you're praying for the team or why don't if enough of us started doing that this culture of prayer will take off i've seen that happen so ask yourself not just the pastor but church members jump in and help us create this culture of prayer that's right okay number two is this expecting god to move there's an expectancy of god to move what do you mean by this kenneth yeah so you know um this is a to me it's a biblical principle it comes out of the church at pentecost you go back to acts one and two and you look at what was taking place and and when jesus ascends uh he tells the disciples to go and wait for the comforter right to to go and wait for the comforter and you look at the those those days, those 10 days that they're waiting for the comforter, you know, uh, I preach a sermon on this and I kind of, kind of tell the story, you know, don't you think on the third day, they actually were expecting the Holy Spirit to come because it was on the third day that Jesus was raised from the dead, right? The greatest miracle of all time happened on the third day. That's good. And so they're sitting there in their room and they're praying and they're like, you know, okay, Lord, it's the third day, you know, it's going to happen now. And it doesn't happen. Uh, and so it, it kind of wanes on for multiple days. And don't you think they were kind of sitting there going, well, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? So now they're, they're not anticipating, they're expecting, right? They were anticipating the third day. Now they're expecting and they don't know when God's going to do it. It went past the day that they thought. So now when is it going to happen? So they're just praying and expecting God is going to do this. God is going to do this. And on the 10th day, right? That's when it happens. And so, you know, that's the, the culture of expectancy that should be having. Do people come to church expecting God to move? Uh, and it, ask the question of the pastor and ask the question of the congregation. Many pastors step in the pulpit to preach a sermon and they do not expect God to move through their sermon. They've never prayed for it. They've never asked for it. They don't expect God's movement. They just want God to bless their sermon, right? Um, God will bless his word, but, you know, when you're expecting God to move, it's not that it's a formula, but it is a reality. God moves in the hearts of the expectant believers, and so when our church unites in expectancy, then is when we see God begin to move, and so if we have the foundation of prayer, we're all praying, we got our culture of prayer, now we can move into this issue of expectancy, we're coming to worship. And that doesn't mean it's going to happen every Sunday. It may not happen the first, second, or third week, but, but the spirit didn't come on the third day, right? They wanted it to, but it didn't. Uh, he came on the 10th day. It was after continued expectant hearts were waiting on him. He finally revealed himself uh, in flames of fire, right? The tongues of fire that surrounded them. So that's the, the whole concept of expectancy. We need to go to church on a continual basis praying and expecting God to move in our midst. And one day, God will. I can remember Dr. Hemphill saying this in some book. I can't remember which one of his books, but he talked about the need for prayer because it is what moves the change and brings the change that a church needs or keeps a church on center mass with God there. And I can remember praying and saying, Lord, would you bring these kind of people to our church? And I, when I prayed it in the prayer room, in the prayer meeting, I remember going, this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen at this church. What are you praying for? And it did happen. 
it happened in mass. And I thought, wow, I've been lowballing the Lord. I've been, I've had a lack of expectancy. So let's do this. Maybe one of the shoe leather things that all of us as Christians can do is we need, if you're having trouble getting unchurched people to your church, it's not, Dr. Impel would say this, it's not your strategies first. It's your praying first. We have right. to ask the Lord to get involved and expect that he's going to do something. So yeah, I like that. Yeah, and that's, you know, the whole concept of the, the, the current, you know, I'm Baptist. So the current Southern Baptist movement for the past couple of years, the Johnny Hunt, who's your one, right? It begins with praying for your one. Um, if you want them to show, this is an, I mean, it's an old uh, Operation Andrew principle from the Billy Graham Crusades, right? You list out the 10 people that you want to invite to the crusade. And for months, you pray that they will show up to the crusade when you invite them. And then you go invite them. You know, us expecting somebody to show up at church without us doing the invitation, why would they show up to church? We need to pray for them. Then we can invite them after we've spent a season praying for them and see what God does. Amen. All right. Number one is a culture of prayer. Number two, have an expectancy of God to move. If you if your church is going to look like it's revitalized and on, on mission with God, those are two things. Here's number three. Worship service is geared for evangelism. What does that look like? What do you what do you mean by that? Well, you know, the, the simple answer is the gospel has got to be presented. But even when the gospel is presented, an invitation has got to be extended right? There's plenty of guys that preach good, solid biblical sermons, and they never tell anybody what to do with it. Um, but to, to go deeper than that, if the entire service, if the worship service is geared for evangelism, then it's not just what happens at the end of the service, but it's how everything is working together. You know, they're, they're, whether you're a fan of the church growth movement, of seeker-sensitive, you know, all these words that are out there, there are certain realities of what happened through the, the late 80s into the 90s, 2000s, and it was an evangelistic emphasis for the worship service. They, they geared the services for the invitation to, to get to a point to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you know, for those that are they're cynics or critics of the church growth movement, I'm not. I don't have any problems with it. Um, but but those that, that are, they are, do the pendulum reaction, right? Well, we don't want to do anything that they used to do. So we do all of this. And in doing all of this on the opposite side, we're not making evangelistic worship services. And so the service is not geared to lead toward a decision the service is simply geared to communicate um, uh, uh, content, biblical content. And, and there's nothing wrong with biblical content, but biblical content should lead to an invitation. It should lead to someone being challenged and confronted with the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, and therefore an invitation must be extended. Now, likewise, if you preach good biblical content, and then all you do is an invitation, you've missed out as well because you've not transferred the biblical content to why that matters to me today. Uh, and that, that question, and that's a, you know, that's a, a great uh, question that you can add on, on to a conversation with Matt Queen when they say, okay, they're writing, he and O.S. Hawkins are writing this book on the gospel invitation. Well, let's make sure that we're asking the question, how do we move from biblical content to invitation 
What's that bridge, right? What moves me from saying, thus saith the Lord, and here's why it matters today, right? This is why it's relevant for your life. If we don't do that, then people that are unchurched, they hear this biblical content and they go, it's antiquated and out of date. It has no relevance in my life today. And you've not shown me relevance for my life today, but yet you've asked me to respond and you've not given me a reason to respond. So, so that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about worship services are geared evangelistically, everything is connected and you're trying to bridge that gap from biblical content to why is this relevant? Now, would you be willing to make a decision for Jesus? That's awesome. Um, we, Matt Queen dealt with some of that and, and how to do an invitation. I think that's a whole podcast by itself, Definitely. But, uh, the, you know, there's the evangelistic side and then there's the, in the Calvary movement, I've noticed that there's a ministry, uh, ministry approach to it. So in other words, if you want to come forward for prayer and just, you have something you want to pray about that goes back up to prayer. There's a moment where they do prayer and the music is pretty quiet or non-existent and you can just come up and they have pastors up front who will pray with you and other leaders who will pray with you. Um, Worship geared for evangelism. Um, The invitation, I would add in the way you welcome people is important. You don't want it to be concocted. Let it be natural. Um, And I would add this. (laughs) Don't leave the room when the altar call is given, I would just say, don't do that. And there's a lot of different ways to do the altar call. No problem. I don't care about the methods. Just do it. James Merritt sends them out the back. Other people call them forward. Some people use cards or texts, or now it's a scan. You can scan something and it'll let you record the decision, but don't leave the room. I would say it's disheartening to your pastor. If you walk out during the last song and there's all this movement when your pastor is trying to to gear the sermon for the most incredible moment of a person's life. So if you're listening, yep. and also if you're listening, here's another shoe leather thing. Pray for the, the invitation during the sermon. Um, That's right. Let me, let me try with the time we got left to get at least one more question in, and we may have to do a follow-up on some of these, which will be cool. Um, number four is follow-up strategy for all yes. church activities worship and events these are things that we are outlining here and they'll be in the show notes that we are saying that if you don't have really what we're implying to be nice in a pretty rough way if you don't have these things you're not revitalizing you're not aligned up with god and you need to make the shifts to make this happen so what is that kenneth follow-up strategy for all church activities and worship and events yeah so so you know there are churches all over the place that they hold an event and they never collect information on their attendees, right? And so you don't know who was there, who participated. And so there's no basis for doing follow-up. Uh, these are, in, in revitalization context, the thing I hear all the time is, well, we don't have any prospects. Well, how are you collecting information, right? Uh, if you do a, a, a men's event, a women's event, a vacation Bible school, kids, you know, what, are you actually registering people? And then what do you do with that information? Uh, I, you know, I've worked with, with churches before that they, they get all this information and they just kind of stick it in the file and, and set it to the side. They never do anything with it. And I've heard guys say, well, you know, they didn't actually attend a worship service. Therefore, I don't need to, to follow up with them. That's, that's encroaching on their personal. 
look, if somebody gives you their information, they're opening a door for you to contact them. And so any event that you have should have a data collection of some kind, uh, text message, email address, whatever. Uh, a worship service, now to, to turn off the spiritual side and turn on the marketing side, where every Sunday is an event, right? Uh, every Sunday is a worship service. And so collecting that information and then responding appropriately to those people. Uh, I hear from churches in communities all the time. So we'll, we'll, we'll go out, right? So I've heard from people in Utah, right? Well, we don't do door-to-door -door visitation because that's what the Mormons do. And they'll equate us with being the Mormons. And so we don't do that. Well, one of the fastest growing churches in Salt Lake City does door-to-door -door visitation, right? They're like, look, man, if somebody visits our church, we go knock on their door. If somebody moves in the community, we go knock on their door. We're, we're aggressively presenting the gospel. And guess what? It's paying off for that church. Uh, I, I hear all over the nation people say, oh, door-to-door -door doesn't work. And yet, door-to-door -door does work, right? Uh, you, you, you know all the stories of the guys that are being successful doing this, planting churches by going and knocking on doors. So, so there is a, there's got to be a follow-up strategy for everything you do. And it, and it is, it needs to be a strategy. It's not just a, oh, I got this information. I'll just, I'll get around to it, right? No, you need to immediately respond as quickly as you can. The first 24, 48 hours, send a text, send an email, go make a personal visit. Personal visits are always the most effective. We know that, but, you know, even if you're, you're, got this personality flaw that doesn't let you go knock on the door, send a text message, send an email, let the people know you care, let them know that you recognize their attendance, you're here for them, your church is here for them, you want to be a resource to them. Uh, there are prospects in every community because there's lost people all over the place. It's just a matter of are you connecting with them. So the follow-up strategy uh, really, and again, you know, we can kind of go all the way back. Your follow-up strategy begins with prayer as well. You know, it begins with yeah. praying that God will bring people. Oh, then it's praying that principles. the people will be receptive, right? And then praying before you go visit with them or pray before you send the text message or the email, you know, Lord, let them be receptive to my reaching out to them. So, so we've got to be in the business of making connections. I mean, that's what a follow-up strategy is all about. It's about making connections. The church is supposed to connect with people in the community. I'll tell you the biggest one for me, and that's a big amen. Uh, we need to do a series of podcasts on each one of these by itself with a bunch of preparation. But the biggest way for me to follow up is I would text people and say, can I buy you a coffee or a latte? And I'm going to go spend five or $6 to buy them a latte. I don't care because most of the time, not all, but most of the time, the people that I can get there and say this, hey, what's your story? And just sit there and listen. And then I don't even barely have to sell the church because most of the time we're not asking people that we're so rushed. Um, the people that I can get to that and follow up, they usually come back and they'll usually stick in some kind of way. They may not join right. the church or they not, may not be there all the time, but they'll remember uh, the pastor. Or if you're a leader to give you a, if you're a member of a church to give you a shoe leather example, Hey, why don't you go to your pastor and say, pastor, who was a guest last week that I could text and say, hey, can I buy you coffee? And just go listen to their story and say, hey, I'm Alan. I'm from so-and-so church. And I would, I'm just glad you're here. I, I heard you were here. I, I saw you fill out a card. And I just wanted to, and sometimes I'll take a guest gift and give it to them there. 
as something small, simple. It just shows hospitality. That's right. Um, That's good. Because not everybody's a door-to-door person. I know that. I did last week with Stonewater here in Granbury, but not everybody's that. That doesn't have to be. That's not the only way. The deal is to do follow-up. That's right. To do it. Do and expect. That's good stuff. All right. We got time for one more question. And then the other two, we will save for a follow-up. Community outreach. What are your top three examples of community outreach today, Kenneth, that are working in churches? Community outreach. Well, you know, the, the, it depends on how you label things, right? So to me, community outreach, I put Vacation Bible School as part of That is still the number one. All these churches that, that say, oh, we don't do Vacation Bible School anymore. Now, look, I'm not, you don't have to do the literal Vacation Bible School where you buy a kit. From, but are you doing subtype of summer you know, weekday program, whether in the mornings or the evenings, whether it's a, a sports camp or a, a Bible study, backyard Bible, club, you know, you're doing something that whether it's on your church campus uh, or out in people's homes uh, that connects with your community for a, a specific and explicit purpose to engage them as representatives of your church, right? So number one community outreach for me is a vacation Bible school type of experience, uh, engaging with those young families and and connecting with them. Uh, Additional community outreach um, effective tools uh, centers around meeting the needs of the community. Uh, And so you can't just say, hey, you know, know, hey, we're going to do this men's event. We're going to do this wild game dinner. You know, if if you're sitting in the the middle of... um, uh, well, let's, we'll use Granberry, man. You know, I was on staff down there for 18 months. You know, wild game dinner may not work in Granberry, but a fish fry does work in Granberry because it's on the lake and all these guys are fishermen. And so you do a men's fish fry, the guys come out for it. And, you know, especially if you say, hey, guys, it's going to be a, an all day event that ends with a fish fry. You go catch and then we'll cook. Right. So all those fishermen go out on their boats and then they show up at the landing and you go do a big fish fry. And, oh, while you've got them there, you know, you do a, you do a message, an evangelistic message. And so you find out the needs of the community. You, you look at your community. When we were actually in Granbury, uh, there were, if I remember correctly, there were 11 youth during the 18 months we were down there that uh, that died tragic deaths. Right. Wow. Uh, drownings in the lake, uh, DUI crash, you know, these types of things. I mean, over the course of just, a, a, it was a lot. And so the, the community need was, was a place to grieve, uh, but also a, a, a parent forum would have been great there to talk to parents about these things. What can we do to, to elevate the risk and, and help teenagers understand better? So you got to find what the need in the community is and address that need. Uh, if you're dealing with a, a, of an impoverished group, then, you know, offering financial planning, offering, uh, uh, what is that organization, the Day of Hope, right, where they come yeah. in and they do the, the medical clinics and they give away bags of groceries. And so you find the need that your community has and you organize your community outreach around that need in order to connect better with the community. We used to do free car washes at the church. 
Right. And that we, I actually have a guy that I led to the Lord because of that. I'm, he's, um, he's a great friend. I've discipled him some. And then Tim, you know, Tim, he's discipling one-on-one yeah. -on -one right now. And That's great. Three car washes. And so we're saying a couple of things. And now if you're listening before we land the plane here for this, this session, this is definitely a part two is that you can be the person that says, Hey, you know what? I'm going to organize some of the people in the church. Let's do a free car wash. Or you could go, how are we doing? We're not doing a vacation Bible school or a backyard Bible club approach to anything. And maybe your church needs to do it. You know, we were in a church in Ruidoso where the, the campus was so small for something like that. But you know what? I think we use that as an excuse. We just didn't take enough initiative to go for it and maybe limit the amount of families you can handle, but to do something. Yeah. Um, well, you can do micro, you can do micro groups in people's yards. And so you go to these different subdivisions, you bring in one bounce house and you say, Hey, we're going to do a micro Bible study on this day at this location. And, and you set up and then you go to another house in another subdivision on another day and do the exact same thing. And so there's creative ways of engaging the families if the families are there. Now, what you don't want to do. So I did work with one church in revitalization that the, there were no kids left in the community, right? Uh, it was a dying community. There was only a few hundred farmers left, and they're all older, senior adults. Man, if we tried to do a vacation Bible school at that church, that would have been the dumbest spending of money ever because <laughs> there are no kids there, right? right? But there were adults there that had needs, and so we, we, we would have gone in to find out what are their needs, and that, you know, that was my encouragement to the church to now, when I got there, this is, you know, we're out of time, but I'll just tell the quick story that, you know, when I got there, the Sunday I showed up to meet with this church, they introduced me to their youth pastor that they had just voted on that day. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, there are no youth in this community. And they're like, yeah, but we thought he would be able to draw them in wow. from the next county over. And I'm like, they're not going to come over from the next county. They've got three churches to go to in that county. Parents are not going to send their kids all the way over here. That's, it's a waste of money. It's poor stewardship. So, so know the community context uh, in order to, to do the community outreach. Know who you've got, know what you've got, and then you can go after them. Well, amen. Thank you, Dr. Kenneth Priest. We have identified five of the seven things that we are calling non-negotiables for church revitalization and continual renewal, a culture of prayer, expectancy of God to move, worship geared for evangelism, follow-up strategy for all church activities and worship events, and then a community strategy for outreach. Now, here's what we'll do. The last two, you're going to have to give me time somewhere else in your calendar here within a week yes. or so, and we'll do a part two to this because these last two are bigger than the ones we've gone through already. They deal with equipping for evangelism and equipping to make disciples. I really want to talk about that. I may get you to well, you know how I'm jumping in anyway, but I may get you to kind of interview me on that. It's a huge need. It's a big need. But it for is. this week, if you're listening, thank you for tuning in. Go, uh, We appreciate you so much. I hope you'll take some of these shoe leather things that we've tried to point out and get this stuff moving in your local church. Kenneth, any final words? Hey, man, I, go. I got to go. But just before, take these principles and stoke it up. Amen, dude. Amen. All right. Thanks for being with us. We love you, man. Love you, too. I hope you enjoyed that part of the interview. You're going to want to get in on part number two, where we took about 40 minutes to answer two questions that we mentioned. Number one, how do we quit for evangelism? And number two, how do we quit for disciple making? 
That'll be coming out in a few days after this launch, but I hope you'll subscribe to the YouTube channel. I hope that you'll subscribe in Apple Podcasts and the Play Store. And just thank you for your support. If you would like to partner with us, reach out to me. I'll give you more information. We love you guys. If we can help you in your journey with God, you count us in. We will see you in the next episode.